thank you for joining us here today at Victory Church where we pray big prayers to a big God and we expect big results. If you have any questions or want to learn more about who we are, visit us online at victory.church or just download our Victory app. Now let's check out this week's message from our lead pastor, John Chastain. All right, so we're going to jump back into the season, the season of half the battle. And I told you last week we're starting to sense a changing of the season, not just outside, but in this house and uh, what God is going to bring over the next several weeks of a, whatever the new series or season that God's going to lead us into. But I've still got a couple of really words, fresh words on me for this current topic that I, that I want to bring. The one today is one particular that I've, I'm really excited about. Um, it's one that God's been stirring in me for, for quite some time. It's been in my notes section, which is kind of how I craft messages. I have all these different files of notes on my phone that I'm just constantly adding to. And this one's been on my docket for a very long time. And I've just been waiting for the right verses and the right thoughts to come together. And it has. And it happened this week. And I'll kind of share with you how that happened. Uh, but last week, if you remember back with me, I preached a sermon called Remain or Stay in the Tent. Stay in the presence of God. The Bible says that Moses went back to the camp and it says Joshua stayed in the tent. He stayed where the presence was. And we talked about how I believe that that's how he became such a great leader because he remained in the tent. Before he ever did anything on a stage, he went to a place off the stage. Before he ever became a leader on stage, he had intimacy with God off the stage. And I want to kind of flow off that same thought and really, it goes back to this word remain or stay. And I'm going to let those two words lead us into another word today. And I want to give you the, the opening text in Psalm chapter 37. If you've got a paper Bible, I want you to flip over to Psalm 37. And I'm going to wait on you. Sometimes I don't give you enough time, and I apologize for that. Who has a paper Bible at the Edmund campus? Wave it high. Anybody here got a paper Bible? Wave it, wave it high. Like, you know why they carry that? So they can thump you upside the head if they need to. It's like if it's a big a big Bible that they can thump you with. So flip over to Psalm, Psalm chapter 37. If you're a digital Bible a person, flip over to that digitally. If you're like, I don't want to use my hands, then that's okay too. I'll have it up on the screen so you can, you can use your eyeballs, okay? Psalm chapter 37, and I'm going to read verses 3 through 7, and I'm going to see where this leads us today. It says this, it says, trust in the Lord and do good and dwell in the land and cultivate, I love these two words, and cultivate faithfulness. Now, this isn't the topic of our message today, but I can't help but pause here for a second because it tells me that faithfulness is not something that happens naturally. It must be cultivated. Now, we know this word in agricultural terms because cultivate means to stir it up, to, to flip the soil, to, to do something to the soil, to, to, to stir up the fallowed ground. I'm going I'm to shut up or I'm going to preach this. So, so I just love that it says cultivate faithfulness, that it's not going to happen naturally. Verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord. So first we see trust and then we see delight. So delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And then verse 5, it says commit so it says, trust, delight, commit. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he'll do it. And he will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. Now, I'm gonna, in just a second, I'm gonna read verse seven. Verse seven is a very short verse that I'm going to use for today's message and a second message. So I'm gonna get two sermons 
two-for-one special out of one verse, out of one passage of Scripture. It's not even the whole verse. It's part of verse 7. And that verse is this, verse 7. It says, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. So rest and wait. Rest, two, two cuss words, two four-letter cuss words, right, in our culture. Rest and wait. Like, oh, you used a bad word, rest and wait. What I love about this word, this wait, and then we're going to camp out, on, today we're going to camp in the word wait, because um, this is really hard to do. Uh, I like that it even gives a descriptive adverb. It's like, I'm not even just going to tell you to wait, I'm going to tell you to wait patiently. Because did you know that you can actually wait impatiently? If you've never seen that before, just watch me at times. If, if you pass me in traffic, you're like, oh, Pastor John, goodness gracious. You know, so you can actually wait impatiently. I wait for Michelle on date night impatiently every week. I'm in the car. Where is this woman? You know, I love this old country song. It's like become my theme song. There's an old country song that says, waiting on a woman. You ever heard this country song? So, so you, but you can actually wait impatiently. And today I want us to, to, to talk about this. So the title of my message today is this. Waiting for my ship to come in. Waiting for my ship to come in. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for um, your word. We thank you for it every week. I pray the same prayer every week. Thank you that this is the only source of truth. That our emotions will lie to us. Um, our minds will lie to us. Culture will, will lie to us. Television will lie to us. Social media will lie to us. So at least one time a week, if nothing else, we're going to go to this place and hear from your word of what you have to say. So may you speak what you want to say today. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to embark today on preaching a message on something that I'm terrible at. I'm not good at it. And it's really easy to preach messages, just so you know. As a pastor, it's really easy to preach messages, but it's really hard to go off a stage and live the same messages that you preach. And this is one of those types of messages, because I, I don't like, I don't, I'm just not good at it. I don't, I don't like to wait. Uh, there's, there's a lot of words that I don't, I don't like. Um, I, I don't like it when I go to a restaurant and I walk up to the, to the table and say, party of two, and they're like, that'll be a 45-minute wait. And something inside me is like, then I'm leaving. Like I, <laughs> I, I, just, I just can't wait. There's just certain words I don't like. I don't like the word delay. I don't like the word unexpected. I don't like the words I'm running late. Um, I don't like the words setback. It's a terrible word. I don't like the word pause. Um, I don't like the word quarantine. I don't think any of us like that word right now because it means that I'm going to have to wait. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to do, I don't like waits at restaurants. I don't like shipping delays. I don't like people that are late to meetings. That's a big weird pet peeve of mine. I know, pray for me. I'm weird. Uh, I don't like that. Probably the, the worst I'm at is traffic. Like I just, I don't do well in traffic sometimes. I really have to check my heart sometimes and realize that I, sometimes I just ask myself the question, where are you, John, where are you going and why are you so anxious to get there? Like just chill and relax. But I do want to make a public service announcement just in case. Okay. Public service announcement. The left lane is for passing only. Okay. Just... <laughs> Putting it out there, just public service announcement. In fact, in Oklahoma, they made it a law. If you notice, there's a law against that. So I said this at the earlier service, and the lady walked up to me after church, and she goes, John, I agree with you that the left lane is for passing, but I also want to remind you that even in the left lane, the speed limit applies. And I'm like, oh, 
And I'm like, conviction received, conviction received. I was like, wow, I need to repent. So, so this word, wait patiently. Let me show you something cool about this word, wait patiently. So always go to the Hebrew. Always go to the Greek in the New Testament and always go to the Hebrew in the Old Testament and it will take words. If, if you're reading the Bible and a word jumps out at you, then be like, I wonder what the original word means. So you can, you can go to lots of different websites. You can, you can Google it. Just be careful of the website that you land on when you Google it. But, but you can Google it. What is the Greek word for blank in blank? There's a really cool website that I use a lot of times called Blue Letter Bible. That's a really great website. Just Google Blue Letter Bible. It has great ways to look up context of, of scriptures. This word, wait patiently, two words for us, one word in Hebrew. It's the Hebrew word, cool. And you have to, all you have to do is say cool, but spit on somebody when you do it, Okay. You say, cool, and watch what this means, to be twisted, writhing, (laughs) and the last one, suffering torture. So what this tells me is that God knows what it's like for man to have to wait. That for man or for woman, for us, for mankind, it's difficult to wait. It becomes writhing. It becomes difficult. And when I looked up this word, it led me to another story in the Bible that I'm going to preach today. So it started with this idea of waiting, started with this text in Psalm. And when I looked up this word, cool, it led me to a story in the Bible that we're all familiar with. It's the story of Noah. Okay. Now I want to show you the verse that it led me to, and then I'm going to, I'm going to teach on this idea of waiting for my ship to come in. Um, so let me, let me show you the verse that it showed. A lot of times when you look up a, a, a Hebrew word, if you scroll down to the bottom or you, you look through the concordance there, it'll show you other passages of scripture where the same Hebrew word was used. Okay. And you can cross, cross reference a lot of stuff. It's really cool. So this word chul is found in Genesis chapter eight, verse 10, where it says this, it's talking about Noah. It says after chul, after waiting, after being wrenched, <laughs> After writhing, after suffering torture, another seven days, Noah released the dove again. He released the dove again. And so I, it, it, finding this scripture caused me to dive into the story of Noah. And what I want to do is I want to use the story of Noah to, to, to show us how to wait. Because if anybody was good at waiting, it was Noah. Noah waited for years for the rain to actually come after God told him to build a boat when nobody ever even heard of a boat because it had never rained before and he was getting ridiculed and mocked. So he waited for years for it to start raining. And then once it started raining, he waited for it to stop raining. And then once it stopped raining, he waited for the the waters to recede. And then he, once the waters receded, he waited to get off the boat. So he did, this, this guy did all kinds of waiting through his life. So we have a lot to learn from him. So four things that we learn about waiting from the story of Noah. The first one is this, write this down. Circumstances rise quickly, but recede slowly. Now, something cool that really popped out of the story to me in part of the passage, it says that, that the floodwaters came. It says that it began to rain, and it says the waters rose quickly. Some translations say the waters rose quickly. And then just a few short verses later, I'm going to show it to you in a second. It says the waters rose quickly and receded slowly. And I begin to think about that. That's many times how circumstances feel like on in life, right? The circumstance happens quickly. The phone call came quickly. The fight came quickly. Getting laid off at work came quickly. The cancer came quickly. All of these things in life, the financial hardship came quickly, but it seems like they resolve slowly. And let me, let me show you this, this text in Genesis chapter 8, verse, verse 3. 
So it says this, it says, so the floodwaters gradually, that's another word that I just don't like. Gradually, I want it to be quickly, but they gradually receded from the earth. And now let's look at these timelines. I'm going to break this down. I want to try to show you how long Noah had to wait. After 150 days, exactly five months from the time the flood began, the boat came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. Now they got to be thinking, finally, we come to rest. Surely this is almost over. Not even close. Verse five, two and a half months later, as the waters continued to go down, other mountain peaks became visible. Now, we're not going to go on because it's a lot of scripture, but I'm going to show you how much longer they had to wait. And then I'm going to tell you. Okay, so verse 6, the very next verse says, After another 40 days, Noah opened the window and released the dove and the raven. Then he waited seven days and he, and he released the dove again. Okay, so another seven days. And then he waited another seven day, days and, and released this dove. And then verse, verse 13, it says, Ten and a half months since flood, the floodwaters began, Noah lifted the cover of the boat. So it was a convertible. He took the convertible top off. Ten and a half months. Now they hit dry land in five months. Another five and a half months pass and they take the top off. But they're still in the boat, still waiting. They're on dry ground. And then you're like, surely, holy cow, surely they're about to get off the silly boat. Verse 14 says, two more months went by. And then God finally said, now, get off the boat. If you total all those things up, 12 and a half months, 12 and a half months of being in a boat, that's brutal. Like we've been in this COVID season since March and Noah's like, y'all some sissies, man. Like I stuck on a boat for 12 and a half months. You got, you got, you got nothing on me. So he understood waiting. He understood waiting. And this is what happens. The floodwaters come quick and they recede very slowly, you know. Um, your marriage happened quick, but it takes a really slow, long, steady pace to build a healthy marriage, you know? So, so something, some, uh, kids come quick, but raising kids is a slow, gut-wrenching, waiting patiently, writhing, suffering, right? <laughs> Some things happen quick, but then some things, the, the, the fruit of it comes slowly. Uh, trust. Trust is lost very quickly, but it's gained back very slowly. Your credit score was ruined very quickly. A couple bad mistakes. And it takes a long time of waiting patiently for it to come back. And we can learn from this. We can learn from this principle. that Some things happen really quickly, but they're going to recede slowly, and that's okay. That's okay. God's doing something in the waiting, and that's what I want to dive into. So the second thing is this. Let me tell you something about your wait, okay? Second thing, write this down. Your wait could be a forced rest. It could be. It could be God coming and making you rest. Now, let's go back into to Noah. He spent a large number of years building and building and constructing and constructing and and fastening and nailing and cutting and cutting down trees and making and making and making and making and making. And then all of a sudden, sit, rest. You can't build nothing. You know what you're going to do for 12 months, Noah? Scoop poop. That's what you're going to do. You're going to rest. You're just going to be 
Nothing you can control. You can't control anything. You're just adrift. I decide where your boat goes. I decide where you drift to. Nothing you can force. Nothing you can control. Nothing you can manipulate. I believe that Noah found out how to trust God floating on this. I was going to call it an ocean, but was it? I mean, the whole world was an ocean. He was just drifting and drifting and you know, we see this principle in Psalm 23. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I like nothing. He makes me. He makes me lie down. Now, we've seen the paintings of Psalm 23, and it's always this cute little lamb laying down or this cute little something. Like, it's, like God's going, oh, I'm going to let you rest for a minute. God's like, no, rest. Rest. I demand it. Now, didn't this happen during quarantine? Our whole world rested. The factories weren't pumping pollution into the air. They said that our streams and rivers, they said that the, the rivers in Italy for the first time in centuries, you could see the bottom. Why? Because there was no boats. Everything came to a rest. It's almost like God said, I want the whole world to rest. And sometimes God will cause us and force us to rest. This word rest, this word, this word in, in Psalm 23 makes me lie down. It's the Hebrew word ravatz, and it means to stretch, to cause, to lay down. I'm going to cause you to lay down. I'm going to cause you to slow down and rest and wait and wait. You can't control it. You can't manipulate it. You can't figure this one out. You're just going to have to rest and wait on God. And going back to this verse in verse 7, Psalm 37, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Wait, 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 wait. It's interesting that he took in the same verse in verse 7, it said, rest in the Lord and wait he put these two words together because they're one and the same. And we, unfortunately, in our culture and in our day and age, for some reason, we completely mix that up. We say when we have to wait, we become restless. Like when I have to wait, I'm like, oh, oh what can I do? Uh, Prime, you said two days. Ah, you know, who do I need to call and complain to? This is ridiculous. And so when I have to wait, I become restless. And God's saying, no, what if you having to wait was intended for you to become restful, restful. Charles Spurgeon, one, one of the greatest preachers of all time, said it this way. He said, time is nothing to him, being God. Let it be nothing to thee. God, time is nothing to God. And that's why we have such a difficult time waiting on God. Because for God, time is nothing. But for us, it's everything. And I don't know about you, but when I look back on the history of my life, and I, what I realize every time, without fail, 100% of the time, God was right. My timing was really bad. And if it would have happened the way that I wanted it to happen, I would have messed up the whole thing. And every time, God brings his miraculous, supernatural timing. So the question booming in us in the middle of our mess is, how can I rest when everything around me is flooding so when, when the world around us and our emotions and our, you know, the circumstances of our nation and maybe your finances or your marriage and everything else around you that seems to be just going crazy and the floodwaters are rising quickly around you, how do I find rest in the middle of that? Let me show you this in Genesis chapter 7, verse 18. It says this. It says, as the waters rose higher and higher above the ground, the boat floated safely on the surface. So it really, it didn't matter how deep the waters got. We know that the, that the waters got high enough to where they covered every single mountain. 
the highest mountains on earth, right? Covered every single, so we know the waters got, got high, but the truth is it, it could have gone up higher. It really wouldn't matter because God had given them a place of safety. God had given them a place of comfort. God had given them a place uh, of, of refuge to come to. But even as I pondered on this, of what this boat was, what it symbolized, I don't even know that they were floating on a boat. Um, I think that it wasn't the boat that gave them buoyancy in the flood, it was obedience. It's obedience. Because if you flip back a couple of chapters into chapter six, what you'll find is God coming down, I'm gonna read it for you. God comes down and tells Moses, build a boat, build a boat. It's in in Genesis chapter six, verse 14. And the Lord comes down to, 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 to Noah and says, build a large boat from cypress wood and waterproof it with tar inside and out. Noah had to be like, what's waterproof? You know? So he even gives him all of the specific instructions, tells him how to do it. Here's a deck, build to this measurement, all of these stalls, all these decks, gives him all of these explicit instructions. But here comes the key verse. The very, in verse 22 is the key verse. So Noah did everything exactly as God had commanded him to do. It was Noah's obedience that gave them buoyancy. And the question then becomes to us is what is God asking us to be obedient in? Because it is in our act of obedience. Because I could just preach this really cute sermon. God's going to make you float. It's going to be awesome. And we can be excited because you're going to float and you can get through anything. But the truth of the matter is I would be teaching you incorrectly without backing up two, two chapters and saying it was his obedience that made them buoyant. So what is it now that God is telling us I want you to be obedient in this area of your life, right? So there's, there's examples of this. I want you to be obedient and forgive that person so that when the floodwaters rise of bitterness, you stay floating on top of it. Uh, when, I want you to be obedient and tithe. It's a, it's, a, it's a thing of obedience. Why? So that when the floodwaters of a down economy rise, you float on top of it. It's, it's, it's not your ability to control your finances and control your stock market and control your retirement account and control and control and control that make, that's going to let you survive what might be coming in the economy. No, it's obedience. You build the boat of obedience and God says, as long as you build what I tell you to build, I will get you through any flood that can come your way. It's, it's a boat of obedience. So we, get, so we get into the word and say, God, what do you, what do you need me to become obedient in? That's part of the waiting process. Third thing is this, while you wait. While you wait, be a dove, not a raven. Be a dove, not a raven. And I want to show you the difference between these two. So let's recap. Finally, the floodwaters stop and they begin to recede. And it's been five months and the boat finally hits land. Okay? So it stops raining after 40 days and 40 nights, but they float on five months and they strike land. And they had to be thinking, surely we can get off this boat now. Surely we can take our masks off now, please, man. Right? Surely we're there. Surely, surely we're almost there. And the Bible says they waited another two and a half months and then another 40 days. And then it says that, that, that Noah opened the window. And this is where I want to pick up. So the first option you have is you can be a raven. Let's talk about the raven. Genesis 8, verse 6. 
It says, so it came to pass at the end of the 40 days that Noah opened the window of the ark, which he had made, which he had made. And I underlined in my notes, and you should underline this in your Bible, where it says, which he had made. And this isn't my point at all, but I'm going to pause here because this is really important. This is a whole other sermon maybe. But the Bible says that Noah opened the window, but he could have just stopped there. He opened the window. Cool. But for some reason, the Bible includes that he opened the window that he had made. So window was something that gave them access. It was something that let light in. It was something that brought fresh air in. And Noah knew in advance that when I'm going to build this thing, I need to build this thing in a manner to where I'm not isolated in darkness. And when we're building our life, this is just a sub point. This is for free. Build a window. If you're going through a difficult season in your life and your, your, your temptation is to isolate in darkness, build a window. Build a window. You need to let light in. You need to let somebody in the church in. You need to let a friend in. You gotta let somebody walk this thing out with you. And then it goes on to say this, verse seven. Here's the point. Verse seven. Then he sent out a raven. Now watch the characteristics of this raven. Which kept going to and fro until the waters had dried up from the earth. How exhausting. How exhausting must that have been? Just flying to and fro, independently, by himself. Now, the Bible doesn't even tell us what happened to this raven. We have no idea. Doesn't doesn't give us the end of the story. And he may have made land. He probably did because, you know, God only put two of each animal in the ark. But I'll tell you one thing, when his little claws hit dry ground, he was exhausted. Exhausted. So we can be a raven if we want to. We can go to and fro and be in control and refuse to go back to the tent, refuse to go back to the place of refuge. We can just fly and fly and fly and try to figure it out on our own. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14, though, it kind of gives us this instruction. It says that we should no longer be children, and then it tells us what children do, tossed to and fro uses the same description, and carried about by every wind of doctrine and by the trickery of man and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting or being tossed to and fro by Facebook or CNN, but instead speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things unto him who is the head, Christ. So you can be a raven if you want to. We can, we can, we can go that way if we want to. Ravens, this raven decided to do life alone, okay? Or we can be a dove. Let's talk about the dove. Let me show you the attribute of this dove in, in Genesis chapter 8, verse 8. It says, he also, being Noah, he also sent from himself a dove to see if the waters had receded from the face of the ground. Watch verse 9. But the dove found no resting place for the soul of her foot. Now, I was talking about the soul, S-O-L-E, of the dove's foot, which is a beautiful picture of our S-O-U-L, that God releases us into the world and we fly about trying to find a place where we can find rest for our soul. Now, now watch what happens. It says, and she returned into the ark to him, to Noah, for the waters were on the face of the whole earth. The question is, where do you go when you find no rest for your soul? When you're trying to find a rest for your soul, where where do you go? Do you return back to the heart of the Father, 
or you like the raven, I'm going to figure this out. I'll get a third job if I have to. I'll do this if I have to. I'll do whatever I need to do because I can do this. I, I'm a man. I'm a woman. I can figure this out. And God's like, that's cool. You want to be a raven? Two and fro, wearing yourself out. Now watch what, this, watch what this dove does, and this is beautiful. This sentence concludes. So no, he, Noah, put out his hand and took her. Now watch this. And drew her into the ark to himself. And this is a picture of our heavenly father, that he releases us with free will and we fly around the world trying to figure out what we can do with our lives and trying to have a purpose for our life. But when I get tired and my wings start flapping and I get wore out and I need rest for my soul, I got to turn tail and go back to the father and allow him to draw me back into his refuge. The Bible says that he is our strong tower where we can go to find refuge. But I love that not, not only did the dove fly back, but I love the description that it says that Noah had that shows us the heart of our father, that Noah reached out and took the dove and drew her to himself. Isn't that beautiful? That when we're exhausted and weary and we've found no place for our soul to rest, God says, return to me, come back to me, remain in me and I'll remain in you. You come back to me and you will find rest. This is the only place to find rest for our soul. Be a dove, be a dove, not a raven. Last but not least is my fourth point. When we're, when we're exposed to flooding, when we're exposed to these things and we're waiting on God and we're waiting on God, please know this principle, number four, waiting can take you to new heights. Okay, now I wanna show you this in this story and see if it comes alive in your life. In, in Genesis chapter eight, verse three, it says, so the floodwaters gradually receded from the earth and after 150 days, four uh, exactly five months from the time the flood began, the boat came to rest, and this is important, where? On the mountains of Ararat. Now, if you look up the word Ararat, the mountains of Ararat, you will find a definition that says the curse reversed. The curse reversed. Because the flood was kind of this, this idea of a curse. It was gonna kill everything. But when they landed on this mountain, the mountain of Ararat, the definition, the name of this mountain means the curse reversed or the, the, the curse, the, the reverse of the curse. And if you study these mountains, uh, they believe, scholars believe that these mountains mentioned are the Kurdish range of mountains in South Armenia. And in those days, and, and even in some ways in these days, these were the highest point and they were inaccessible. If you were alive in those days, you would have stood at the bottom of that mountain and looked up and said, no human being has ever gone there and nor will, ever be, nor will a human being ever go there. It is not accessible by mankind. And little did they know that the floodwaters that came, the thing that they had to wait on, the thing that was gut-wrenching, the thing that was frustrating, the thing that they could, they could not seem to get over and they had to wait and wait and wait and wait and wait, the thing that seemed to be an inconvenience when the, mountain, when the boat hit the mountain and they got off, they were standing on ground that everybody always said no one will ever stand there. They reached a place, they reached a height that was seemingly impossible to ever reach. And if we will just be patient, if we can find the principle, find the way to wait patiently, wait on the Lord, don't be a raven. 
Don't take control. Don't try to do this by yourself. Don't try to manipulate or control other people. Don't try to manipulate or control your boss or manipulate and control your customer or manipulate and control your spouse. If you will just wait patiently on the Lord and find rest in waiting, I believe that it is in the waiting that God is slowly taking us higher and higher and higher and we're gonna reach levels that we never thought possible. So what we thought was holding us back might be taking us higher. It might be taking us higher. If we can rest and know that God is working, that we can stay on God's promise, stay on the promise, stay on the boat. The boat was God's promise to Noah, by the way. You build a boat, this is how I want you to build it. And as long as you stay on that boat, it's waterproof. It's floodproof. If you'll stay on the boat. If you'll stay on the boat. Remain in me, Jesus said. Remain in me and I'll remain in you. Let me close by taking you through a little exercise here that I think will be fun. Um, So I was in chapel at the King's University where I serve as the president. We had chapel this week on Wednesday. And we were celebrating a book that was releasing um, our founder, the founder of the King's University, Pastor Jack Hayford, founded this university. And there's a biography that's about to, it actually is released, it's been released, it's called Pastor Jack. And it's just, the, it's just a biography of his life and it's fascinating, you should get it. It's called Pastor Jack, shameless plug. And we were showing this to the students and uh, during this video, Pastor Jack's daughter, Rebecca, came on and was sharing stuff about her father, Pastor Jack. And, and then she said this verse that I mean, I don't know if you've ever heard a verse and it just, it's like somebody walked up to you and just smacked you upside the face and turned around and walked off and you're just like, oh, this was one of those verses for me. And so Michelle and I, are, you know, we're printing this verse off and we're printing it on our mirror. And this is gonna be, you know, once a year or so, there's a verse that just impacts me so greatly that I have to print it off and put it on my mirror so I see it every day. And this is one of those verses for me. And I don't know if it will be for you, but I wanna offer it to you, okay? So let me read this verse for you, and then I'm gonna show you what what I believe it's saying, three things to me that it might be saying to you too. So it's Psalm, okay, Psalm five, Psalm five, three, chapter five, verse three, and I'm gonna read it to you in the Passion Translation, okay? It says this, it says, this is a prayer, okay? This is a prayer to God. At each and every sunrise, you will hear my voice, God, as I prepare my sacrifice of prayer to you. And it's saying, every morning I'm going to wake up and I'm going to start praying. And I don't know if half the stuff I'm praying is the right thing to pray or not. I'm just, I'm going to, I'm just going to come and I'm going to share all this with you, Lord. Every, every morning, I'm gonna, like, we, like you do, you know. You tell God about your problems. But, but watch this next sentence. It says, every morning I lay out the pieces of my life. This is beautiful imagery. On the altar and I wait, I wait, I wait for your fire to fall on my heart. Now, let me show you something. The, the, the reason this stuck out to me, and I felt like the Lord began to unpack this for me a little bit, because I, I feel like there's three things that fire does. And what we are doing every morning when we lay our, 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 the pieces of our life, maybe the broken pieces of your life, maybe it's the future, your dreams, your hopes, your ambitions, uh, maybe, it's, maybe it's your pain. We lay the pain on the altar. Every day we should lay everything. And that's why I love the verse because it says, I lay the pieces of my life, every piece of it, every piece on the altar. And I wait 
for your fire because fire does three things, three things. And when you pray this prayer, you're inviting God to do one of three things to every piece of your life. That's why it's so powerful. The first thing fire does is fire consumes. It consumes. All through the Old Testament, you'll see that they would offer a sacrifice and the Lord will come down and the Bible will say it will consume. When Elijah did it, he poured water all over it and it says that it came down and licked, one, one translation says it licked up the water even. It just consumes everything. It's such a hot fire that instantly it's consumed. And what you're saying, when you lay the pieces of your life down, you're saying, God, if you need to, you can consume any part of me. Which means you can take it away if you want to. My dreams, if they're not your dreams, take them away. My ambitions, my plans, my pain. If I'm carrying a pain in me, God, that I shouldn't be carrying, consume it consume it. You're in, you're in, it's such a dangerous prayer, guys. It's such a dangerous prayer because we think we have it all figured out. We're the raven. I'm in control. Let me figure this thing out. When you pray this prayer, what you're saying, God, is I don't know what I'm doing. And if there's something that I'm doing, I need you to consume it if it's not you. Okay. Second thing fire does is it purifies. It purifies. So this is cool too, because what you might say is, God, here's my plans. And here's my dreams. This is where I want my business to be 10 years from now. And God might say, I'm not going to consume it. I want you to have that dream, but I'm going to purify it. Because your motives were wrong. And so I'm going to purify your heart so that the motives are pure. So what you're saying is, God, every part of my life, purify it. Purify my hands, purify my heart. Give me clean hands and a pure heart, God. And, and the Bible talks about this time and time and time again. In Psalm 66.10, it says, Oh, Lord, we have passed through your fire like precious metal made pure. You've proved us, perfected us, and made us holy. Time and time again in Scripture, it gives us this illustration of, of the refiner's fire. And this is how pure gold is made. This is how pure silver is made. If you've ever bought pure silver or pure gold, I buy it from time to time. I love buying this stuff. I like to hold it. It's just as an investment. I think it's cool. But what I know is when I hold that silver in my hand, it's been purified. And on the coin, it says 0.9999 pure. So it's gone through a fire. And when it goes through the fire, the impurities rise to the surface and they scoop the impurities off. And then they turn the fire up hotter and more impurities rise to the surface and they scrape those impurities off until all that's left is pure. It's pure. And this is a dangerous prayer too because in order for God to purify you, he has to turn up the heat. These are dangerous prayers, okay? The third thing a fire does, so if the fire doesn't consume it, and if the fire purifies it, the third thing that'll happen is the fire ignites. And this one's my favorite one. Because there's also things in there, you, you say, God, I'm gonna lay out the pieces of my life, and here they are. Do you need to consume it? Do you need to purify it? Do you need to ignite it? And what you'll find is that God will ignite something in you that you never knew was even there. You think I planned to be a pastor? No. That was not on my cards. That was not in my plans. I had no ambition, no desire to be a pastor. But God ignited something in me that I didn't even know was there. And when we lay out the pieces of our life, there's big pieces and little pieces. And it really doesn't matter how big the piece of your life is. If you give God permission to ignite it, he'll ignite it. 
He'll ignite something in you. He'll ignite a dream in you, something that you've thought about. Maybe you've thought about writing a book and, and God comes in and says, I ignite that book. I ignite that anointing. I ignite that passion. I ignite that relationship with your spouse. I ignite your finances. Let, let God decide. God, do you need to consume this? Do you need to purify this? Or do you need to ignite this? Such a pure prayer. Such a pure prayer. Every morning, I invite you to do this with me over the next year or so. Michelle and I are going to have this. We're going to read it every morning. God, consume, consume me. Purify me. Give me clean hands and a pure heart. God, ignite something in me that I didn't even know was there. I want, to, I want us to go into a song for just a moment. And at, at the Edmond campus, Pastor Marcy's going to sing, and here Pastor Oster's going to sing. And this is a song you've probably never heard before, maybe. We've never sang it here at this church before. Uh, but this is a powerful song that is a proclamation or confession, so to speak, of what I just preached, okay? So you can stay seated. If throughout the song you want to stand, if throughout the song you want to kneel, um, what this moment is for is for a moment of reflection, okay? And for a moment of you beginning to speak this over yourself. Because the words of this song say, I will wait on you, Lord. I will wait. I will wait. I will be a dove. I will wait on you, Lord. And so we're going to go into this song. I'll come up and pray after it. Just, just rest in him. We, we're good on time. Don't get anxious. Don't start looking at your phone. This is where the Holy Spirit wants to move. He wants to speak to you. He wants to do something in your life. And so, Father, we just come to you right now, and we say we're ready to receive from you. We're going to watch the words of this song on the screens and watch them come alive. And may we utter them, God, privately, publicly, vocally, inwardly, however we choose, but may the words of this song resonate from the deepest part of ourselves. We worship you in these moments in Jesus' name. Amen. Once again, thank you for joining us today for this week's message at Victory Church, where we are called to equip people to live in His presence, move beyond themselves, and be transformed. The only way they can happen is through your radical generosity, your serving, and your prayers. If this ministry has impacted your life in any way, we would like to invite you to partner in giving towards this ministry. You can do that by visiting our website at victory.church/give or download our Victory Church app and select Give. Once again, thank you. And God desires for us to live life to the full.